BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and I am sitting here with child psychiatrist and executive director of the Brazelton Touchpoint Center at Boston Children's Hospital, associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and I could go on for so long. Um, and we've heard from Dr. Josh Sparrow before. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for letting me come back. <laughs> <laughs> um it will not end. <laughs> um, so today I want to talk about sibling rivalry. And uh, you have a book that I just want you to tell everybody about um, the story you told me. So the other books that I've co-authored with T. Barry Brazelton, The Touchpoints Birth to Three, The Touchpoints Three to Six, and the other six of the seven books called The Brazelton Way Books, have been translated in a number of languages, and one of them is Mandarin. But the sibling rivalry book had never been translated because of the one-child policy. There's no sibling rivalry here because there's only one <laughs> child right. in a family. So wild. And two parents and four grandparents raising the one child. But the one-child policy was ended a few years back. So suddenly, they're all wondering, <laughs> how are we going to do this? And so now the sibling rivalry book has been translated to Mandarin, and there's these really adorable cartoons on the cover about giving my baby brother back and things <laughs> like that. Oh, I want to see that. That's wild. Um, so this is a question that everybody has all the time. That, By the way, it's 80 questions um, talking about sibling rivalry. So today I want to go through both the idea of cultivating a healthy, connected relationship between siblings and also helping I don't even know what the word is, helping support and navigate those conflicts and helping with conflict revolution, revolution, conflict resolution within your own house. Uh, and how, how about we start with just when you first have a new sibling, when there's a new baby and you're introducing your new baby to your older baby. So I think we should actually start during pregnancy I mean, because that seems very like a very good point now that you mentioned it. Because in pregnancy, (laughs) that's when parents first begin to ask themselves, oh, really? Mm -hmm. How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. And often the first question is, how could I possibly love a second child Mm -hmm. as much as I love the first? Mm -hmm. Or... How could I have more love, as much love, enough love to go around for two? Mm-hmm. And then why did I decide to do this <laughs> <laughs> to my first child? And am I abandoning right. the first child? Yeah. So those are very common feelings, at least in um, some cultures, that really then influence the way that we think about what our job is Uh when we introduce the new sibling. And when, so let's talk about even introducing the pregnancy, Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes that's a question, you know, depending on your child's age, where their, how their body looks Mm -hmm. at a certain point, there's no, you know, you can't hide a pregnancy Mm -hmm. from a child. Um, So maybe we can start with that, those feelings that you're talking about and that sharing um, with your first child that you're having a sibling? Well, children tend to know more than we think Mm -hmm. they do. 
their job from very early in life is really to be a scientist, <laughs> an explorer, an inventor. So they're watching all the time. They're really set up to do that. So I have heard of situations where the child knew something was up before the parents did. And we would like to avoid that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so so uh, do not think that they don't think that something's going on until the last trimester. Mm -hmm. Certainly by the second trimester, they're they're probably taking in things that they may not even be aware of. So at least in the second trimester to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. In introducing the new baby, you certainly don't want to say, this is a terrible thing because we're taking <laughs> love away from you to give yeah. to the child. And if you deal with those feelings, you won't. At the same time, you certainly can openly be authentic about your excitement and pleasure and delight. But you also have to understand that your child will have a whole range of confused and confusing feelings about this whole idea. First of all, the idea that a baby can be inside of you is like, I mean, I think it, it's really hard for grownups to understand that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's that in and of itself is confusing. Then if we talk to them about how rape production happens, uh, the idea that um, there's a seed that gets put together with the eggs that gets fertilized. So then, and depending on how you go about that process, right. you have a different story about what you tell. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's pretty hard to understand too. I, I do think you never want to say something that you have to take back because mm -hmm. then you're risking your child's trust. But you can say things in a simple way with only the details that they're ready for. Mm -hmm. And then you watch their faces, because when it's too much, they'll glaze over and lose interest. Right. You, I've had, I've had enough. Uh, so certainly, by the second trimester, to know uh, we're having a baby, to open up space for them to have whatever reaction they have. Don't expect them to say, "Oh, terrific! Yay. I can't wait." They might, uh, but you want to help them find their way to their full range of feelings, rather than have them feel pressured to celebrate. Right this when that might be one of the feelings, but there are others that mm -hmm. may be contradictory that are just as real. Mm -hmm. And now we are, I think the, the, that comment that you made about trust goes with everything. So mm. um, I want to highlight it because sometimes if we, if we say something to our kids, we want them to trust that we're a, a, a source that they can trust. That we're liable. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't mean you have to sit them down and give them the whole story because it's, again, maybe too much information and not interesting for them at this point. But, but the stork brought you is, is something not, you're going to have to take back at right. some point. Right. Um, so given that, now we're, <clears throat> now we're having a baby. So the baby is coming. Um, how does that, I guess, can we walk through that introduction? Is there a way to set the tone um, which I think you already beautifully laid out, which is there's going to be a range of reactions and emotions, and all of those are okay. But now, how are we setting up this relationship? So uh, during the pregnancy, the child, depending on his or her age, will at times be very interested and at times completely uninterested. And those may not at all match your <laughs> your timing for when you're interested. So part of setting the tone is accepting and expecting that there are going to be some disconnects between what you're feeling in a particular moment and what the child is feeling. I, I think the next thing is to understand that even if during the pregnancy the child is exhibiting some nurturing instincts towards the baby to be, you know, wanting to rub your tummy or listen to your tubby and saying sweet, lovely things to the baby, that uh, that doesn't mean that the child isn't also feeling like, does that mean I don't get to be a baby anymore? Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, you know, many, many parents feel like the way to make their first child feel better by the second to say, well, now you get to be all grown up. You get to be the big sister or the big brother. And just think, you know, we're so proud of you for, you know, being so, so big and mm -hmm. actually you know, maybe sometimes that feels right, but it's really important to say, you'll always be my first baby. Mm -hmm. And I still have time for you to be 
my baby. And the truth is, you're going to be really busy having two. But if you let your child know you understand their fear of being displaced and their fear of not getting enough of you, they actually will pull on you less because they won't have to check that out because you've made it clear to them. Right. You're not planting an idea in their head. You're simply allowing them to see that you see them and what they might be thinking about. Well, you're honoring the idea that's already there Mm -hmm. because young children are biologically wired to seek the parental resources they need for their survival and nurturance. Mm -hmm. And they have their eyes out for potential disruptions of the sources of that nurturance. And that's part of what happens when another baby comes along. So the idea is already there. And what you're saying is, you know that they're on the lookout for that, and you've got it covered. Mm -hmm. And then they will be likely to do less clinging and pulling on you. They'll do some But if they know that you know that that's Mm -hmm. their worry and that you're on it, they won't have to do as much. Mm, That's a great point. And again, that translates in so many different areas that come up with kids, that letting them know that you see what's happening and what they're experiencing will allow for them to relax a little bit and maybe act out a little bit less because they don't need to give you the message and bang you over the head with a pan. Um, So if a child is having transitions during the time that a baby is born, for example, they're just about to transition into a bed from a crib or they're about to potty train, uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about giving some space between the birth of the new baby and making huge transitions in the toddler's life, assuming that this is a toddler and a baby, which is not necessarily the case. So, yes, that's a really important point. And in the sibling rivalry book, but also in the sleep book, The Brazen Way, and in the mm-hmm. toilet training, we, we talk very really specifically. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talk very specifically about the timing of these things. And if you expect that there is likely to be some backsliding, likely to be some disorganization, some regression at a momentous occasion like the birth of a new child and the several months before and after, then uh, you understand that they're actually temporarily losing some developmental capacity. So it's not a time for them to be pushed or to push themselves to the next skill to acquire. Mm -hmm. So either the potty training or the transition from crib to bed happens well before or well after, Mm -hmm. but starting, I mean, it's going to be different from one child to the next, but starting maybe from the second trimester Mm -hmm. to um, the first several months, at least, it's not going to happen. And once the second baby is here, one of the interesting things that happens is that the second baby's touch points of development, which are these moments when a new developmental skill emerges but accompanied by a temporary loss of developmental functioning. It's just temporary. Once the new baby is having those, then the first child is having his or her own plus those that are in response to the second child. So, for example, when the second baby becomes mobile and starts to Mm -hmm. crawl, (laughs) that's a touch point for both children. Uh, A lot of people say that they thought that their child was madly in love with their sibling until they started to crawl or until nine months or until they started to be interested in their toys uh, or until other people started to give them attention. Yeah, well, I think that madly uh, in love is part of the problem with expectations. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the expectation that we as parents are perfect or that we should never do anything that upsets our children. And of course, we're not perfect. And of course, we have to help them accept things that are going to be upsetting to them. And in the relationships between our children, they will have a full range of <laughs> moments. And if you have a sibling of your own, I'm guessing that for most of us, it isn't always just about the madly in love. Right. There are those feelings, <laughs> but but there are all kinds of other feelings right. as well. And if there is something special and unique about sibling relationships, it's the passion of all of those feelings, mm. which makes it so 
unique and important, but also makes it a special challenge. It's the passion and intensity of those feelings. But our job is not to have our children experience only uh, one positive emotion with regard to each other. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it's not an appropriate expectation. Whether or not you allow your child to show you that or not, they're going to feel the range of emotions and have conflicts. And that's perfectly natural. Maybe you need to protect the younger child. How do you protect your younger baby with an older child while not alienating or um, undermining their experience of feeling those big feelings? So uh, you do have to protect the infant until he or she is old enough to be able to scream loud enough or get away <laughs> fast enough, right? right? A- until that moment, you do have to keep your um, eyes open. I-, I don't think there are a lot of situations where you have to do or say something that makes your two or three-year-old older child feel like he's a, you know, a a potential murderer Mm -hmm. or something. Uh, Also, I think you can uh, honor and validate the older child's feelings. It's hard to share your toys. Mm -hmm. It's hard when daddy has to stop playing with you to go change the baby's diapers. And at the same time, as you're speaking to those feelings and putting words on them, you're saying, but this is what you got to do because there's right. a couple of us now. I, I think uh, maybe most central to this is shifting from this idea that as parents, our job is to raise each of our children, if we have more than one, uh, solely as individuals and that our job is to help them reach their potential with preparation to maximize their accomplishments, because that's a a very sort of individualistic approach Mm -hmm. to thinking about raising a child that really falls apart when you're raising a family. So I think when we're raising more than one child and when we're together as whatever our family unit is, there's something else which matters as much and maybe more, and that is, um, are we learning who each of us is what we mean to each other, what we need from each other, what we have to offer each other, and how we can support each other through the day-to-day challenges mm-hmm. and the big challenges that life throws at us so that we go through our lives as as a family unit that is really committed to taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, has been the way in which most families have been and most human societies for most of history. And and then your job becomes a different one when you're helping the older child handle his or her feelings about having to let go of some things when the younger child needs more of you or more of your time. I love a personalized gift. And I also love to get myself a personalized gift here and there. And you know where you can get them? Vistaprint, where I got a mug and I ordered a photo album because even though all my photos are on my iPhone, it's nice to have a really beautiful printout book. So you can just look at how your year was. And you know who loves those? Grandparents. You can also send out holiday cards, which are awesome and quick and easy. And all you have to do is go to vistaprint.com choose one of their selections, like the shape you like and the styles you like. They have classic, they have modern, they have fun and festive holiday styles. You pick a shape, you pick a style, and you put your favorite picture there. You upload a photo from your phone. It could not make it easier. And then you just figure out how many you want and you order them with time to spare. Get your kids a mug with your mug on it. What a fun and ridiculous gift especially for a teenager, because you know your teenager would love a mug with your face on it. They'd probably think that was hilarious and also ridiculous. Those custom calendars, those are gifts that keep on giving all year round. If you put awesome pictures of your kids with family members for 12 months a year and send that to them, they will thank you. They will love it. They will cry. They'll be so excited. And also guarantee your satisfaction or they'll make it right for you. They'll reprint or they'll offer you a refund. How cool is that? 
I love companies that are thoughtful towards customers. So this season, make more merry at vistaprint.com with up to 50% off all holiday cards and photo calendars, plus great deals on photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter promo code HUMANS50. That's vistaprint.com, promo code HUMANS50. Offer expires January 5th. Rothy's is my favorite shoe company because they make shoes for women and kids out of plastic water bottles and they're comfortable and machine washable. So why wouldn't you get Rothy's? And it's the holidays, which means running around and you need to be comfortable. And you can also get them as great presents because they're cool and sustainable and comfortable and they're a great shoe. They are just a feel good flat in more ways than one. And They're the perfect everyday shoe for life on the go. You can walk for miles in them. They're stylish and comfortable, which is very hard to find. And they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. Let's talk about the most amazing thing with Rothy's, which, by the way, comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges and no packaging to waste paper or cardboard, just what you need. How great to support a company like this By making their shoes using repurposed plastic water bottles, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills, and that number is growing every day. Check out all the styles available on rothys.com slash humans. Get your new flats in time for the holidays. R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash H-U-M-A-N-S. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash humans today. Hey guys, I'm Justin Anderson, co-owner of the hair care line DP Hue and Celebrity Hair Killers. Have you ever wondered what happens in a celebrity salon chair? Well, that's what this podcast, In the Chair with Justin Anderson, is all about. I'm literally recording while I'm coloring hair in real time, giving them their signature looks or going for something bold and new. All right, you guys, you're going to want to subscribe to In the Chair on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. I want you to be in the know when each new episode drops every single Friday. Keep it cool, and I'll talk to you soon. Sometimes parents feel very obligated to make sure each child has a fair experience, an equal experience in their day-to-day versus thinking about supporting the family unit and how sometimes it's going to be, you know, somebody's going to feel a little bit bummed out about missing out. Or can we help them learn to think about supporting and helping each other in the process of kind of growing this family unit? So I think fairness is a fraught concept Mm -hmm. because fairness doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. It means really to each according to their needs and their Mm -hmm. strengths. And so it's important as a parent to understand there is no obligation to have everybody have an equal experience Mm -hmm. every moment of every day. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, if you convey the sense that that's how things should be, you're setting yourself up for failure, but you're also setting up your children to have completely unrealistic expectations for themselves, for each other, and for life. So the reality is, in a family, different people will need different things mm-hmm. at the same time that sometimes will be incompatible, mm-hmm. actually. And so we all have to learn how to make some sacrifices, sacrifices, mm. make some compromises. And and I think it's really important for as we raise our children to help our children understand, yeah, we actually make sacrifices for other people, Mm -hmm. for each other. We compromise. We pay attention to what other people are up to and what they need. We do not stop paying attention to what we need and what we're up to. But there will be times when these are in conflict. And sometimes we will decide we're going to compromise. We're going to be the one to give and we're going to sacrifice. And it's, it's about the balance, and it's about a unit in which there is a sense that we're all paying attention to that and that none of us are in this just to extract our individual gains, Mm -hmm. but um, to be able to play our role in this family. So there's a real shift there. And so that's why it's connected to 
moving away from the mindset that my job is to set up one child's um, future career trajectory mm-hmm. and set up the other child, but we're setting up a set of family interactions mm-hmm. where we're all tuning into each other, aware of each other's inner experiences, needs, and strengths, and then trying to figure out what the balance is. And of course, younger children need more and there are things that they can't give. But younger children actually also really appreciate opportunities to be able to help and to Mm -hmm. be able to nurture very early on. And sometimes when we're trying to set them up on their career path, we don't realize they actually want to be able to set the table, right? right? (laughs) Even though that's not the thing that's going to get them into an Ivy League school, but it helps them feel like I get to do my part in this family. So when I use this notion of sacrifice, you get something back that feels good to you when you make a sacrifice for people who you love and care about. And then that can build into doing that in the larger world. So you can start at home with siblings. And I know that that's not, we're, we're not growing in the larger world right now, but it all has an impact and we can teach empathy at a really early age, using those conflicts as opportunities to understand one another and also kind of not fix the conflict or take the sides. So when siblings are in a battle, as a parent, you have to assume if you weren't there to see the whole thing, you probably will never know Mm -hmm. what really happened. So do not even try. So when they come to you and run and push each other over to try to explain who did what to, you know, what who was wronged and what happened, can you kind of not? You do not conduct an investigation. Exactly. What, That's what I'm getting what you, what, you know, you do not <laughs> conduct an investigation because you will never know for sure. And, and, and you're giving them the impression that that's the primary point of this conflict is you, to convince you. Right. And you will be reinforcing more experiences like that. You will be setting the stage for them to keep on doing that. Mm-hmm. If you start digging into, well, you know, she says this and she said that, but I agree with you. So it's like, I wasn't there. I didn't see what happened. I don't know what's going on. That's between the two of you. Mm-hmm. The two of you know, and the two of you need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. What I know is it's never okay to hit your mm-hmm. little brother. It's never okay to break her toys. So I know what the limits are, and I will remind you of those. And you guys have to figure out what happened, and you guys need to work it out. And I think um, when you do that, you're showing them that you have hope and respect that they can. You're setting the expectation for them. That's what I expect from you. Mm -hmm. I am not going to try to figure out you know, which side to take. And you're also making it clear, I'm not ever going to take sides in this kind of thing. Because another thing that reinforces these struggles is if ever a child feels like I won, exactly, she took my side, or I lost and she didn't take my side, they're going to go at it again. Right, forever. To, yeah, it's like a tournament, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're going to keep on trying to, to reset the score. Mm-hmm. So y- y- you don't want to get into that and mm-hmm. you don't have to. If you're okay with, and I think you have to because it's the reality, you didn't see it, you're not going to know, you're not going to be able to filter through their stories, Mm -hmm. and it's not your job and it's not going to help them. You need to state what the limit is. You can't hurt each other. Mm -hmm. You can't be mean to each other. You have to figure out how to stop doing that. And you guys know what happened. You need to figure out how to not do that again. Mm -hmm. Knowing that, of course, it will. (laughs) Right. right. Yes. Yeah. But you're at hmm. least giving them the confidence or at least your confidence in their ability to manage this and that you're not the judge. Yeah. And and your confidence is not that it will never happen again and that they'll suddenly brilliantly work it all right. out, but that they can commit to trying to work on it, that they will keep on having trouble with it and keep and you'll remind them to keep on working on it. So your your rule is, rule is really about intervening to stop the action and to create safety and then to put it back on them. And this this is in particular because they are siblings and they are vying for parental resources. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's always a trap. It's not the same thing if you're trying to help a motion coach two friends who are having 
a conflict, two little friends, not... It's a different It's a different thing, yeah. And then, of course, your child has expectations from you because that kid's not your child, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> But it's, it's a whole different setup, yeah. So if you need to help them have the conversation or if they're not yet able to figure out how to navigate the conflict, but their bodies are safe, can you just keep on giving them new chances and waiting for them to manage it? Or should you sit down and kind of be a witness and help them use language to get their point across? Well, I think that the help that you give them is not about who's responsible or whose fault it is or who shouldn't have done what, but it's a proactive, um, this is not acceptable, Mm -hmm. can't be mean to each other, can't hurt each other, need to respect each other's Mm -hmm. stuff, need to think about um, what it feels like for your little sister when you do, mm-hmm. need to think about what it feels like when you you do this for your big mm-hmm. brother. So you can sort of prospectively, proactively help them think about the consequences of their actions. And the consequences in particular are usually about how you make your sibling feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's different than negotiating, well, you get to have the toy because she was wrong to take it away from you. Then you're kind of judging the, you know, so this is more just helping them figure out how to communicate their take. Well, uh, and also I think to understand themselves Mm -hmm. and understand their behavior, but not because you're making a judgment about who is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You're helping them understand why they did what they did and the feelings that they have about what was done to them so that they can build on that. And again, this is a long and slow process Mm -hmm. that demands a lot of repetition, but that's the teaching job for the parent. Mm -hmm. Do you ever justify separating kids? Yeah, sure, but not, and you can separate kids without saying, you know, which child you think was responsible. Just that they're not, they're not safe together right now. You guys are having a really hard time playing together right now. So you just need to be playing separately. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that way you're not taking sides. You're not pointing fingers. It's both children feel badly because they know in a way that they've failed to figure out how to play together. Mm-hmm. And um, you're kind of saying you're you're having a hard time being able to do that. And that's something that you want to do that I expect to be able to do. And you're not you're not showing me you can do it right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's another example of a consequence for their behavior that is directly connected to the behavior that helps them understand, oh, that's why I need to work on not being mean to my little sister because then I don't get to play with her. And I really would like to be able to do that. So yeah, absolutely, you can do that. Okay. Yeah, and you probably want to do it if you're in a space where you can so that it's pretty definitive and you don't have to keep on reinforcing Mm it. I mean, mean, the other thing about how you set limits and how you impose consequences is that they have to be enforceable. I mean, if you're in the car, good luck, right? Right, right. There's not—you can put an invisible wall there. Um, Right, if you're in the car and they're punching each other— yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you can move them around. Maybe there's another adult who gets it between them. But y- you have to, you, you can't tell them you you have to stop. You have to leave each other alone. Right. Uh, I mean, you could try. Yeah, if they're old enough and if they're in control enough, uh, it would make sense to try it. Mm-hmm. How about if they're coming to talk to you? They're coming to tattle, tattle, um, and it's not to keep anybody safe. It's just simply tattling. Can they give you their, what would the other person's side of the story be if they must express themselves? Or does that still get into judging? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think tattling is in a way a kind of similar situation, which is when you have one child coming to tell on another child, you're you're never going to know what really happened. But so if you think about your role as not having to get to the bottom of this, understanding probably you won't. Mm-hmm. It's you need to let go of that. And your job is to uh, let the child tell her story. And you can validate the feelings, but to be clear that they're feelings and that the reality is maybe a bigger thing mm-hmm. that has those feelings inside of it, mm-hmm. but might have other feelings mm-hmm. inside of it too. So I'm really sorry to hear that he said or did something that made you feel this way. And um, I will have to talk to him 
to hear, you know, his side of it, right? So you're not making a judgment about him based on mm-hmm. this story. You're, um, and another thing you can say is, um, it, it depends on what the nature of the tattling is. I mean, sometimes I think you want to be clearer and, and, and let them know, you know, if you come to me to tell on someone else, um, it's, it's really unlikely that it's going to work out mm-hmm. to be in your favor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if right. you're looking to yeah. get me to punish you're right. your yeah. sibling, yeah, that's not... You need to make that clear because otherwise it can become repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might say, I'm you know, glad you came to talk to me and I can listen to you, but you need to know that um, when you tell me these kinds of things, this isn't what's going to make me do what you think mm-hmm. you would want me <laughs> to mm-hmm. do, right? What, that, are you, that, what's your, what are you trying to get out of this? Yeah. If it's right. to just express yourself, yeah. I'm all ears. If you're trying to get me to make a decision about how the rest of the day is going to go, it, it's not related. Yeah. And then the, the other thing, which I think might be actually the first pass, is to put it back on them to go back to the sibling and to, did you talk about it with them? Mm. Did they know how you're feeling about with them? Mm -hmm. Did they see your side of this? You need to go back and talk with them about that. So I want to go back to something about fairness because I think it comes up forever. And uh, I don't know what that just reminded me of it. Mm. Uh, Maybe it's the idea of everybody needing to get out, get off their chest, their side of the story. But um, I recently have noticed as younger kids get older, so let's say that now they're five or six or seven and they have an older sibling and the older sibling is starting to, you know, have more freedom and more responsibilities or get a phone or go to parties, that there's a sense of making sure that the little one doesn't feel left out. And so you get a lot of giving in to younger kids things that are maybe developmentally inappropriate because what are you going to do? The older sibling is watching it or the older sibling has it or the older sibling is doing it. So I guess I want to address that it's okay, unless you don't agree, for a younger sibling to experience the waiting and the disappointment of not getting to have and do everything that the older sibling is getting to do, that you don't have to fix that being left out of something. I completely agree with that. And I <laughs> and I think part of why the question comes up is the parents' discomfort at having to make the child uncomfortable. There you go and again. Right. Par- and part of the job is helping the child face realities mm-hmm. that are not always easy or fun to accept. That's a big part of how we prepare them for life. And boy, do they pay a price if we don't step into that when they're little. So not only is it okay, but it's actually necessary to say, well, when you're nine, then you'll be able to do this. Right. And you can also speak to their feelings or list their feelings. I know it's hard for you. I know it's stressful for you. I know you wish you could right now. But you're, you're going to have to wait, and I know that's hard to do, and I'm asking a lot of it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they'll be mad at you. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and when your child's mad at you and you don't then um, take it back and say, oh, okay, you can do it too, you're showing them I can handle you being mad at me. Mm-hmm. It, these big feelings are okay. We're, they're not going to uh, destroy us. They're not going to destroy our relationship. We can have these big feelings, these big negative, angry feelings in our relationship. I'm hanging in there with you. But if you take it back and you say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I made you so upset. You can have the phone, too, or whatever it is. Then you're saying, I'm terrified of your big negative feelings. <laughs> and actually, I don't know if I can handle them right. or if our relationship can handle them. So it, it's it's really important to stay in there with them and and not to budge. I mean, you have to make up your mind in advance what you think is reasonable, right? And of then, and, and And if you're raising your child with another adult, important that you have a united front about these things. A lot of the oh, things— that's another good point. That's a whole other thing. And that that is, uh, you know, one of the most important things to work on. It's mm. hard in any—a um, couple of two adults raising a child together because we didn't have the same experiences growing up ourselves. We have different ideas about mm-hmm. what we're raising our children for, and uh, we have different ways of reading our children's behavior, but it's really important. Mm-hmm. And so sibling relationships and sibling rivalry 
is a, a really sensitive place for that because if you were right. in a different birth order than the person you're raising your child with, you're going to have different identifications totally. with your child's experience, and that's going to come up in these situations. You hear that all the time. Like, I know what it's like to be younger, and I don't want my child to experience mm-hmm. that because I hated having blah, 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 or vice versa. I hated having to feel responsible for my kids, and then my, I, my siblings. Yeah, and then I, th- <laughs> I think that there are a couple of fairly practical things to do as a couple about these kinds of um, challenges. The first is the behaviors that children will present you with are not endless and infinite, and a lot of them are pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the common things that come up between siblings that you're going to have to react to, you can have a conversation, not in the heat of the moment, but uh, an anticipatory one. What do we do if the older child does that to the younger child, whether Mm -hmm. it's hit or bite or take away the toy or says something mean or sort of lords it Mm -hmm. over, all those things. I mean, there aren't a million of them. What do we do? Uh, And there are a couple of other practical things. One is if you're in the heat of the moment, instead of setting the limit right then and there because you're thinking, I don't know if my partner is going to agree with how I'm handling this, Mm -hmm. you can say, I am so upset with you. I'm going to have to talk with your father mm-hmm. before we let you know mm-hmm. what the consequence is. And then you've let them know the action has to stop. This is not acceptable and that there will be a consequence. Mm-hmm. And then you go talk privately whenever it is about the consequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, uh, I think, practical thing is to give each other permission to set the consequence when you're by yourself dealing with it and to promise that although you might want to go over in the future how you'd handle it together, that you're not going to undermine what the parent's decision right, was. Right, you're not going to undo the decision gonna, even right, if you disagreed. Yeah. You can just right. talk about it later. So, so, and, and so we'd go over these things in the United Front section on, on you know, in, in some of these books because they happen a lot and don't feel bad because mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of a natural struggle. Yeah. But I do think there are some fairly simple practical things to do, and it makes it— um, Less painful, sure. Not just for the children, but for parents and for their relationship. And just to add to that, I think this use—we're talking about co-parenting, not necessarily if that's your partner. Yeah. So even that's right. if you're not together, that's right. But you're raising your children together. Yeah. That united front, though not necessarily realistic all the time, is is beneficial for the kids, at least, and for you. Yeah, yeah. And certainly I have seen many couples that have split up and are no longer romantically involved Mm -hmm. do a really beautiful job of co-parenting. And that doesn't mean that they always agree, not by a long shot. It doesn't mean that they always get it right, Um, but that they're committed to trying to put aside the hurts and wounds Mm -hmm. in their past relationship to have civil, thoughtful, respectful conversations in private about the predictable challenges and how to handle them. Now I'm going to do listener Q&A and have Dr. Sparrow help out. So here's a question. I'm a stay-at-home mom of 16-month-old boy and girl twins. I'd love to hear about how to discourage poor behavior. I find myself just yelling out no or stop because sometimes it's happening so fast, like with biting and hitting. My son seems to be the one in exhibiting these behaviors most. I feel like I need a better way to communicate when I want them to stop. I like the problem-solving method, but they're too young for it. I want to know how to help them be good siblings. Maybe this will be addressed in the next episode. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) <laughs> what a great question. <laughs> and I hope you have lots of help because two 16-month-old twins, oh wow, yeah. that is really hard. So uh, I think the first thing to say about the biting and the hitting at 16 months is that is what children that age do to try to interact with each other. Probably do not have a lot of words yet, mm-hmm. but they're very interested in each other. In fact, much earlier infants are very interested in other infants. And so they're working really hard 
to try to reach out to each other, to connect, to communicate, to get a response, to to get something cooking with each other, mm-hmm. right? And so at this age, it's it's important to think about the biting and hitting as partly about engaging the other child. Completely maladaptive, not a good idea, but it's kind of the best that they can do. So that gets to the second point, which is your really candid way of saying, I feel badly because I'm just saying no, and I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. And please um, (laughs) cut yourself some slack and don't beat yourself up because you you have a very hard job. Mm -hmm. And so good that you noticed you're saying no a lot of the time. Because what happens when you say no a lot of the time is children stop listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you They listen for the novel thing that they didn't hear yet, right? That's what they're really tuned into is the thing that violates their expectancy. But if they heard no and no and no and no, they're it's just, just going to tune you out. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, because it's a negative thing, you know, they— probably can see you're not pleased, you're unhappy, you're disapproving of them. Who wants to take that in? So, of course, there are many times when you do have to say no. I am not saying that you do not need to say no. What I am saying is for every no, you need to have at least one yes. Mm -hmm. So when there's a no, don't bite your sister, there's a and you can. Right, tell them what they can do. Yeah, you can Uh, give your sister a little pat or even a kiss. In fact, a colleague of mine has always said, at this age, a bite is the flip side of a kiss. It's really about trying to connect. You know, that's interesting. (laughs) The idea that that little 16-month-old isn't trying to get aggression out necessarily. It's just a connection, however they can figure it out. So you don't necessarily need to give them an alternative that's aggressive. No, it can can be uh, if you're trying to engage— and if it is clearly right. aggressive, then, you know, something else that you can do about being mad. And and it, at 16, it is very limited. But I think of it as kind of like a, a yes bank. You you can't <laughs> you can't take out more no's unless you have at least a balance of yeses in there. Mm-hmm. So some of the yeses can come with each no should have a yes that goes with it. And then you're looking to catch, especially the little boy, (laughs) since he's in trouble right now, you're looking for lots of opportunities to catch him in the act of doing things that you can say yes to. Mm -hmm. And without taking them away from him, but um, by making them too precious or too special, but there might be some times where he is being sweet or gentle or attentive or interested or playing alongside his sister, where you could just say, um, um, so nice to see the way you're enjoying right. your little sister or something. Catch yeah. him yeah. doing the behaviors yeah. you want to see. And, and at 16 months, you're going to have to in- intervene a lot with distraction, with separation, with getting them both focused on something where you're kind of in the middle, one child on each knee. Mm-hmm. I mean, at 16 months, you are right. They do not have a whole lot of impulse control or a lot of other tools right. to either express frustration or just to say, hey, let's get something cooking together. Right. And problem solving is, you know, as she said, not going to happen with the right. 16 month yeah. Um, So here's another one. Good morning. First of all, I really enjoy your podcast and your posts. I have, thank you. I have a five-year-old boy who has lately become very concerned with what his peers think of him. He's concerned about what he looks like in the morning before school. He doesn't want to wear his hat or mittens because someone laughed at him. He doesn't want the gummy worms I put in his lunch the other day as a special treat because someone laughed at him. I remember having those kinds of concerns when I was a preteen, but I'm surprised my son is struggling with this so early, and I'm not sure how to help him feel confident in his own likes and dislikes and to shake off the judgment of others. It's hard to even do that for adults. I would really like to hear something on that. Um, That is a really great question, and it is true that for many preteens, there is this rather sudden experience of feeling like there's a camera (laughs) watching you and broadcasting. Well, now there is. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right. Well, way before, but yeah, but now it's, it's just right. so much worse now, yes. Yeah. And so I would think that your five-year-old is experiencing a kind of self-awareness that uh, maybe fits with the emergence of what are called evaluative emotions. So up until about age three or four, 
mostly, we just have emotions. Mm. I'm really angry. I'm really hurt. I'm really tired. I really want this. I really don't want that. Um, And then somewhere around four, we start having feelings about our feelings. Like, I am really a bad boy because I wanted to hurt my little sister, right? Mm. So, So I'm having a feeling about a feeling. So it may be that this capacity for this kind of evaluation of oneself is a part of, at five, what we're seeing with this child. But this child may also be a particularly sensitive, observant, aware child. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I would help him, if this is true, value that about himself and help him understand that as both a gift, a special gift that he will be able to do wonderful things with, but that comes at a cost, right? And I think it's really wonderful that you're focused on helping him uh, feel good about his own desires and opinions and judgments and to not have those of other people weigh so heavily. And I think that's the direction to go. And I think there's a kind of pat reassurance that can feel like you don't, you're not really listening, you don't really get me. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can say, well, I think you're great just the way you are, because he'll feel like, well, we don't get it, but I, I have to go to school, I have to deal with these kids. Right. So I think Such it, it, it makes sense point. to, you know, you want to reassure him and make him feel better because it's hard for you to feel bad when your kid's feeling bad. That's true for all of us. But to sort of go with what the hard feelings are first, like, you know, let's, you know, how upset you must have been when this kid made fun of you. Um, And then to work towards, well, so that's what this kid thinks about the gummy bears or gummy worms, but like, what do you think about the gummy Mm. worms? So you're you're sort of walking them towards, uh, Mm -hmm. well, this is what I think. Well, so then what would be the problem with you're deciding that what you think about going bears actually is kind of important. So you, if you do the pat to quick reassurance about, well, that's kids just being mean and they shouldn't do that. And you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, they're not, they're not going to feel. They're not. You're not going to sort of build the steps for them to get there. And then the last thing is, I, I do wonder, like, what's going on in the classroom where the kids are being so mean to each yeah. other? I mean, kids, you know, kids actually, I think can be mean to each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this sounds like kind of a lot. Uh, So what's going on in the classroom? Is it the same kid? And if it's the same same. kid repeatedly, then, you know, your child Mm -hmm. is probably possibly being bullied and it's worth looking into Mm -hmm. what the teacher can do to handle that if it's the same kid. And I also would wonder if, I think when children are bullied, and this is something that, you know, I think is kind of hard to say in a way that is okay for people, but sometimes they have a sense of their own vulnerability that Mm. the bully is picking up on. Mm. And that's why I think you are so right to help him feel confident about his own tastes and opinions. But I think there are some steps to walk him through for him to like really believe that that's okay. Right. And it takes years for us to to feel those, he's, he'll get a head start. And as you say, it, it can take a whole life and a lifetime. And I, I think I'm thinking maybe some of this would be in modeling, Yeah, you know, yeah. As, as adults. Yeah. Ah, thank you. All right. Should we do one more? Sure. Um, this is a longer one. It's not that long, actually. My current concern is my six-year-old son really knows how to get under my skin, negotiates for everything. For example, I will not eat dinner unless you give me TV tonight, calls me mean when I'm asking him to do something. Please write thank you notes for your birthday presents. With my help, I will not, you're mean. Unfortunately, my reaction tends to get shorter and shorter, and I know lowering to his level is wrong, but I simply can't redirect in that moment. There's a general lack of respect in our home, and I'd like to restore some order and peace. Well, it's a a good question to ask. Um, I have to say that I, I do have this thought in there somewhere that there might be some sort of a set of family interactions that have become kind of a vicious cycle. Mm. And I, I can't make a recommendation without knowing more, but maybe someone could help you see whether or not 
having someone who could do some sort of family therapy or some parent guidance might actually help break the cycle. I don't know mm -hmm. that you need that, but there's something about um, about the words you use that make me wonder about that. It's the, the getting under the skin the and getting, the feeling like, you know, being set off. And the general lack of respect mm -hmm. in the home. I mean, that, that kind of sounds like a, a really hard way to feel. Also, it sounds like you already know what's going on right. and you know what you need to do, but it's hard for you to figure out how to do it and to get yourself to do it. And that's why I think sometimes having someone who isn't a family member kind yeah. of come in to um, break a cycle. Mm -hmm. So I, I, um, I, I can't make that recommendation without knowing the situation, um, but you might see if there's someone who could help you sort through that. I, I do have a couple of wonderings. One is... It sounds like there's a, something hard for you about being in the role of a parental authority with your six-year-old. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard for you to uh, stick up for your position and stay with it and say, well, no, I, you know, I'm the parent here and I decided this and you might not like it, but that's that's what we've decided. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it makes me wonder about what is undermining that. Is there something about how things are going that's making you doubt yourself or not trusting yourself enough to be able to stand in that role of authority and stick with it? Are there, you know, people in other places whose support you need that you're not getting? Do you feel pressured to have your child always be happy because uh, that is not a reasonable <laughs> expectation mm -hmm. for you to have of yourself? And as you're finding, your child really needs for you to be able to handles some interactions with him where the result is he isn't going to like it and he will be mm -hmm. unhappy. You're really right to be looking for a way of getting out of the negotiating. He needs to have supper because that's what we do in our family because that's what your body needs. Right. And there isn't a reward for it or not. And we're not going to have that conversation. <laughs> right. You don't want to have, and if you don't have supper tonight, then don't have supper, but it's not about, you know, a reward. Right. And the, the truth is, He's not going to starve himself. And if he is, then you've got a big problem. But the truth is he's mm -hmm. not going to starve himself. And um, you need to make it clear that – and I would think it's frightening for him to think that he has that much Control. power. Sure. And he really needs the parents to take it back. And if there are two of you raising this child, you need to take it back together and support each other. So um, I think you're right to be concerned. Mm -hmm. And if you already feel like you know what the challenge is and you know what to do about it and you can't, that's part of what I'm thinking. Maybe having someone mm -hmm. who's in a professional position outside the family might be able to help. Yeah, I think actually to Dr. Sparrow's point, whenever you catch yourself using language where there's a power struggle and you know that you're losing your own capacity to self-regulate, it is so helpful to get help mm -hmm. to figure it out because... A lot of times the questions come with the, the answers in them, but it's just hard to implement. So when that happens, we can we as the adults can figure out how to get the support we need so that we can feel more confident to, to implement the things that we know are appropriate. Yeah, you know, I think actually I, I didn't really respond to that, and I feel like I'm getting short. I think you're absolutely right to pick up on that. And I can imagine that one reason why you might be getting short is that these situations make you doubt yourself mm -hmm. and not feel confident and competent as a as a parent. And so you're getting irritated because each time he does this, you're feeling worse and worse right. about yourself. Like you're putting me in this position of feeling like, I don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I am guessing that that also reinforces the vicious cycle because I bet it's scary for him. He knows he has too much power. He knows he can make you feel this way. He knows in some way that you're not sure you've really got a handle on this. And so he keeps on doing it because he needs to find out, can, you know, right. can mom really, you know, take a hold here of what needs to to be done? So I, I think that's part of what um, makes him keep on, keep on doing Pushing. this. Yeah. All right. Thank you. We have more, and I could do this with you for hours, so I'm just going to hope you'll do <laughs> so this again. I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for those of you who want more of Dr. Joshua Sparrow, there are so many books. There is a website. It's Brazelton. What it's is the website? Brazelton, I could have done that before. It's, it's brazeltontouchpoints.org. 
Thank you. Brazeltontouchpoints.org. And also, by the way, if you just, there are so many different articles that you've written and, you know, um, all over the web. You could just Google <laughs> Dr. Joshua Sparrow answering parenting questions. <laughs> You'd probably get a boatload. Um, but I certainly am so grateful that you took the time to be here. And I hope we get to continue this conversation. Me too. It was fun. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you wanted to give some positive feedback. And don't forget to DM me with questions. Have a great week. <laughs>